Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For Tech Stuff listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is The Singularity is Near, When Humans Transcend Biology by Ray Kurzweil. Kurzweil explores a future where man and machine are one and the same. Tech Stuff is fascinated by the idea of singularity, and this is a great book to learn more about it. The Singularity is Near, When Humans Transcend Biology by Ray Kurzweil. Available from Audible. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash techstuff. That's audiblepodcast.com slash techstuff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And if you know where the Dickens he came up with that one, oh, well, let us know. Way to go. <laughs> it yeah. ain't Shakespeare. <laughs> no, it isn't. Uh, today we wanted to talk about a subject that was uh, a suggestion from one of our sister podcasts. Yes, indeed. Stuff Mom Never Told You. We got a, a, Sminty. We got a tweet from Sminty. And Sminty said, hey, maybe you guys should do a podcast about this. And it was about a digital divide, a new kind of digital divide. And really to talk about what this is, I think we need to go back a bit and just sort of talk about the concept of the digital divide uh, to begin with, to explain like what the idea, the, the historical idea of the digital divide versus what we currently are looking at now. Yeah, yeah. This goes back uh, quite some time, um, you know, at least to the 16th century. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, and it's really not, nothing to kid about, frankly. Um, basically, we're talking about access to electronic tools. Yeah. Um, probably most specifically used, in my experience uh, reading about it, in, in educational terms. Whether people have uh, access to electronic uh, devices, most again, most usually computers for educational purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the last few years, it's grown to include... Um, the internet, uh, internet access as well. And that, that sort of ties into a theme that we've mentioned a couple times, uh, recently. Yeah. Because people have been talking about whether access to the internet is, is a, a right. right or a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the digital divide, when you hear people talk about it, it's basically saying, uh, there are people who are haves and who are have nots in yeah. terms of, Computer uh, access to computers for educational purposes. Right. Craig Warren Smith, who is a f- the founder of the Digital Divide Institute, defines it this way. He says mm-hmm. that it refers to the gap between those who can benefit from digital technology and those who cannot. Mm-hmm. And that's important because yes. benefiting from technology is different from having access to it. That's true. Because you can have access to technology and see no benefit from it. And in fact, at the Digital Divide Institute, he goes on further to express some concerns about about uh, how throwing technology at people is not a solution to bridging the digital divide. Because 
if it has no application in that person's life, there is going to be no benefit from that technology. And in fact, depending upon how that technology is used by the person who receives it, it could end up harming that population rather than helping it. And here's an example that he gives. He says, all right, imagine that you go into a very poor community in uh, 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 perhaps in a, in a developing uh, country, like a developing world country. Mm-hmm. So you go into this country and you go to this poor community where they have very little infrastructure, very little access to technology, and then you do this whole low-price laptop per child uh, uh, initiative. Yes. And you give all the kids laptops. But they don't really have the infrastructure there, and the laptops themselves, even though the laptops were designed to be low-cost items, mm-hmm. most of the things that we access through our, our computers tend to be targeted toward a fairly affluent uh, demographic. Yeah. I mean, it's it's we, there's no way of getting around it. The stuff on the internet that we tend to go and look at seems to be geared towards people who have money to spend. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's the, it's the way the business works because it's not just a – it's not like it's a public entity. It's this collection of private entities and public entities all together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you give these kids these laptops, uh, it may turn out that they cannot use the laptops for what we would hope they would use them for because they just don't have the infrastructure there. They don't have the education there. So instead, they start playing violent video games. And that's what they end up getting. A, they, they, they really enjoy playing the games. It's great escapism for them. But it, it takes away the time that they could have been using toward education and empowerment mm-hmm. and instead have them focusing on entertainment, which – if taken to extremes, could end up hurting them. Not that the violent video games themselves are going to cause the kids to be violent, but that their focus has been taken away from, uh, from, well, empowerment. That's mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the best phrase to use, really. Yeah. So what you're saying is, uh, while well, games could be useful in balance as far as in, in terms of entertainment, yeah, um, it, it they could also be taking the place of the intended purpose of. Providing these kids with technology, which is education. Right. If they're, if they're, the rest of the infrastructure is not there and the, and the education is not there, then there may not be any, uh, any, any ability for the kid. Like even if the kid wanted to use their, their, uh, laptop to research something or learn about something, if the rest of the infrastructure is not there, they may not be able to do that. So, That that was the kind of example that Craig Warren Smith was giving in, in right. his uh, on his website. Now, um, but there is still also a, a much simpler way of looking at the d- digital divide, which is just saying people who have access and people who don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, there that's it's a very clear divide there. So we're yes. talking here things like ideas like broadband penetration. Yes, and we've talked about this in the podcast in the past as well. I believe mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I could I was actually trying to find the the episode. I know it's one of our older ones. Yes, but I remember we specifically were talking about some of the countries that have uh, the best uh, broadband penetration versus others, mm-hmm. and the United States tends to be in the teens. Like usually, like sixteen or seventeenth place for broadband penetration. Pretty good, but not the best. And and for people who are from the United States and who know that the internet really got its start here in the United States, it seems a little unusual to think that the U.S. would be so comparatively low if there if the country was exactly you know the place the birthplace of the internet. But the the simple fact is, the U.S. is a really big country and 
populations are spread very far apart. So building out an infrastructure where you can have broadband access across the board through the entire population is an incredibly challenging uh, uh, task. Uh, we I remember we mentioned in Canada uh, the the broadband penetration there. The challenge, even though Canada is a big country, it's not it's not as difficult to reach the majority of the population in Canada because most of them live in the southern half of the country. Now, there mm-hmm. are people who live in the northern half of the country, and a lot of them don't have broadband, and it would be very challenging to get the broadband to them. But because the majority of the population is in the southern half, you would be able to hit the majority of the population more easily than, say, in the United States, mm-hmm. where you've got some pretty spread out communities, especially in places out out west, so east of California, but west of pretty much everywhere else. Uh, so that that is a real problem, and you're talking about the just the the lack of access. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you get the access there, then you have other issues that pop up, and that's kind of what leads us into the uh, the article that was sent to us from Sminty. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, and the, the arguments that you see, uh, you know, there there are a number of reasons. Um, you know, it's it's not completely geographical, but that is a, a, an important distinction because, um, yes, there are people who simply cannot afford yeah. uh, the electronic resources that would would make it possible for them to get online. Right. So there are economic barriers. Sure. Geographic sure. barriers. There's also, uh, depending on, I mean, there's so many surveys out there that uh, examine who has access to technology and what demographics they belong to. And there are some interesting divides. Uh, age can play a factor, sure. gender, mm-hmm. race, your education background. Uh, all this sort of stuff can can play into uh, the whole digital divide uh, issue. And also um, – how you access the internet or how you know you even if you have access how you access it mm-hmm. can play a big part so uh yeah it's a very complicated issue and if you are ever interested in in testing this sort of stuff like doing surveys and trying to figure out you know where does this digital divide really stem from mm-hmm. uh it's incredibly challenging because you have to control for so many different variables yes. that to test a specific variable is very very difficult Mm-hmm. Now, is it is it the person's age that plays more of a role in this particular case, or is it their race or their gender? I mean, all these sort of things. You know, you have to you'd have to do lots and lots of different studies to kind of whittle this down. And even then, you wouldn't necessarily find a cause. You might just be able to identify general trends. Yeah, and that that can give you useful information, but ultimately, it may not give you the solution. Mm-hmm. Right. It just tells you it gives you more information about what's happening, but doesn't necessarily give you a way of uh, of solving the problem. Right. Right. Um, one thing that has gone uh, there, there are many things that are are factors in reducing the digital divide. Mm-hmm. Um, I think after it was first identified in I, I would argue probably the, about the mid 1990s. Yeah, actually, um, uh, it was a big deal in some of the political discussions, especially in the mid to late 90s. Yeah. Uh, so much so that there were some I, – I actually have read articles that came out in opposition to the the rhetoric saying mm. that the arguments about the d- digital divide were kind of overblown and that more people had access than what uh, was commonly 
believed and that it, the the divide was although present not as as big a deal as was being made in the political arena in the late 90s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah the price the price of computers has dropped significantly yeah. since uh the the arguments have been were first poised you know right. to the to the group i actually meant posed but we'll, we'll skip that posed um, <laughs> posed um so yeah, I mean, it, there are things that have gone uh, that are that are helping somewhat. Um, you know, it, that that's one of them. Um, you know, another is that uh, computers are penetrating more uh, places where people can use them. They're more common in schools now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're certainly more common in public libraries here in the United States. Um, that doesn't solve the digital divide, but it helps somewhat. And uh, another another venue for the internet, and that actually plays into the article that uh, that Sminty sent us, was uh, the the availability of uh, the internet via smartphones and yeah. other portable devices. Yeah. Which, of course, we've talked about many times here on Tech Stuff because uh, mobile computing of all kinds, uh, tablets, um, smartphones, and all sorts of other devices, you know, mobile cards for your laptop. That's uh, it's become very very popular in the last few years, and that's where um, people who are who may not be able to afford computers, they might be able to afford a smartphone here in the United States through uh, deep discounts on uh, on phones when a carrier will offer make an offer a special offer. Right, you you sign up for a two year deal and then you get your phone for you know fifty bucks or maybe even or, free. Yeah, depending on the I mean I, the phone I have right in front of me. Uh, I got on a special day where I, I renewed my contract and I got the the phone for free. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's at least the initial cost of of purchasing it is right. is lower. Ultimately, if you go through the life of a computer um, and it's and, and you know you've got a decent uh, carrier. Mm-hmm. Like there's there are a lot of ISPs out there, right? I mean, there's there's big sure. there are big ISPs and there are a lot of uh, smaller ones where, in, in some markets, you've got at least a little bit of choice, not not as much as I would like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there, I have lived in markets where really there was no choice. Right. You know, you either had um, you either well you either had WiMAX or you had um, you had a, a specific cable company depending on where you were in the in the area. Um, right. But but if you can. Shop around, you might be able to find a, a, a data plan for uh, through a cable company or through WiMAX or what mm-hmm. or LTE or whatever that uh, ends up being um, uh, less than a full cell plan mm-hmm. on a smartphone. Uh, so it all depends on if you're looking at the lifetime of the device or the initial purchase price. But it's it's impossible to deny. I mean, initial purchase price, the smartphone is the way to go. Uh, if you're on a budget, because they are less expensive and they're often subsidized, so it makes it even you know might even be free once you sign away you know, the the two years uh, that you'll be stuck with that phone. Um, and that's yeah. So let, let's talk about this article that was sent to us. So uh, it's called "How Big Telecom Used Smartphones to Create a New Digital Divide," and it was uh, published on ColorLines.com. And uh, it's it's an interesting article. Um, I think I think first of all, uh, Chris and I both feel a little uneasy about the the headline because the way the headline to me or 
Perhaps I shouldn't speak for you, Chris. I'm a little uneasy about the headline. The headline says, you know, how big telecom used smartphones to create a new digital divide. To me, that implies there was a motivation behind that. Like, like that was the purpose of they they purposefully tried to create a new digital divide. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not willing to go so far as to suggest that. I would say that what the telecom companies have done has created a new digital divide, but that wasn't necessarily the intent. It's just that there's there's no reason for them not to do it. Yeah, it's it's on, um, from their perspective, I should say. Right, right. Um, the author uh, Jamila King um, basically, you know, through the uh, through the article, I think the article was was. Fairly well written. Very well written. Very um, well researched. Yes, I agree with that completely. Um, I, I think basically, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing to note is I think it's not that the companies are acting personally. I think right. that they're acting completely impersonally. Yeah, it's a it's an amoral approach, not an immoral approach. Yeah. Although some of – I'm sure if you were looking at this from a different perspective, you could say that some of the actions uh, that have been carried out have been immoral. Uh, the intent behind it was – Amoral, because it was really, you know, this is the move this company needs to make in order to make more profit. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's, you know, it's it's not the wealthy tycoon sitting behind the desk twirling his mustache and laughing, you know, doing his uh, maniacal laugh yeah. over and over. Well, let's talk about what the article actually says. Yeah, and so so the listeners who haven't read it yet might might understand. Sure. Um, one of the points that King makes in the article is that uh, in the United States, smartphone usage is up. Among groups that are traditionally on, uh, for, for some reasons, uh, mostly economic reasons, I would, I would say, yeah. um, are maybe on the other side of the digital divide. In this case, uh, the, uh, black and, and Hispanic populations. Yeah. Yeah. So among, among blacks and Latinos, we're seeing smartphone rise, uh, smartphone use rise much more rapidly, uh, to access the internet, mm-hmm. uh, Via uh, smartphone. Yeah, compared to the white population. So, uh, it's not that, 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 uh, white folks aren't, you know, accessing the internet via smartphone. It's just that they still are accessing, they tend to access it through broadband connections more frequently than, uh, blacks and Latinos do. Mm-hmm. Blacks and Latinos tend to use mobile devices on mobile carriers more frequently than the whites do. And the reason why this is a digital divide issue is because the if you are on a broadband ISP, yeah. that ISP is governed by certain regulations set up by the FCC about net neutrality. Mm-hmm. And if you've right. heard us talk about net neutrality before, you kind of have an idea about this. But in general, the idea behind net neutrality is that a person who accesses the internet should have an expectation that they are able to uh, access everything that's on the internet just as if they were on any other ISP. They shouldn't have a different experience if they're on ISP A than they would if they were on ISP B, apart from, you know, the regular differences of how fast that, that particular infrastructure is. But, uh, ISP A would not be able to block certain sites that belong to some other company or throttle traffic to certain sites just to discourage people from going to one set instead of another set. You know, none of that is supposed to happen. 
So let's say that I'm on ISPA and I want to access HowStuffWorks.com. But HowStuffWorks.com, for some reason, has been targeted by ISPA as saying, you know what, I would much rather if they went to this other website. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an artificial barrier in the way mm-hmm. so that anytime you try to go to HowStuffWorks.com, you just it just loads, takes forever to load. I mean, it's even on the fastest connection for some reason. But if you go to this other website, which is helpfully linked to on your ISP's homepage, it's blazing fast. That would be a problem. And that's something the FCC says, no, 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 you cannot do that. So if you are accessing the Internet through a broadband connection, then you are at least in theory having an, uh, an unfiltered, for the most part, uh, experience. It's not the case with mobile devices mm-hmm. because when those regulations were finally decided upon in 2011, this took years and years to put together and, and put into to action. But when they were finally put into place, mobile was conspicuously absent from that. In fact, to the point where there were there were even some mentions about that whenever when the the regulations went up about how. The mobile companies had argued that this sort of approach would hamper them. It would hinder their ability to do business, and therefore they should not be put to the same uh, uh, standards as broadband. Mm -hmm. And part of that is uh, is talking about uh, the the broadband ones an information based approach, and mobile is supposedly a communications based approach. Mm What that means down at the very you know, end of the line, if you want to just cut to the chase, is that the mobile companies can can mess with you. I mean, if they, they, there's nothing, there's no regulation that says they cannot uh, uh, inspire, you know, encourage you to go to one set of sites versus another, or even block content. Uh, there was a, a mention within the the article that we read. That uh, there was a, a case where a, a carrier did block text messages from one company out to customers across its its uh, um, customer base. Mm-hmm. It blocked those messages, saying that that was uh, the company had a stance against this controversial topic, uh, meaning that the the customers themselves had no say in it. They they just didn't get the messages, and so there are no regulations that prevent that. Right. You know, it's a private company censorship. Private company doesn't matter. It's not a government body, so they can they can do that. And since the regulations don't cover the mobile companies, there's nothing standing in the way. And this this is the basis of or one of the the I guess foundations for the argument about the new digital divide. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you have populations that are primarily accessing the internet through mobile devices, and these carriers that that service these mobile devices are unregulated in any way. The experience they have, by definition, is going to be different from people who use broadband. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. I think that's that's really the point. There are, there are populations that are relying on smartphones to get access, and because the companies are are un uh, you know are, are free to do as they please as far as filtering content and censoring content, then that uh, means that people who might be reliant on uh, there, these providers to get to the internet means that they are um, unable to get access uh, freely to that information, and yeah. therefore um, they are hampered by by the way they 
are able to get online. Yeah. So um, again, that's the 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 argument that we said at the beginning about how the digital digital divide. Man, I just can't say digital today. The digital divide. Thank goodness we picked this as our topic. That <laughs> that it's the benefit of technology that creates the divide, not just the access to it. Because again, you could say, well, look, I mean, the smartphones are everywhere. Look how popular they are. So yeah, but if you if you cannot access all the information, then there is a divide there. That's kind of the definition. <laughs> it's, it's funny because in, in talking this through, um, I, I would argue that maybe our initial criticism of the headline uh, might be softened a bit because the carriers are, in fact, doing that part of it on purpose. They're not creating the digital divide on purpose, but right. they are actively choosing what is and what is not accessible on their networks by their subscribers, no matter uh, what their ethnic or financial or right. religious backgrounds are, it's just they're not. That's tar- what they're. They're not targeting specific populations, though. No, and, well, and that that's part of the problem. Is that when? And again, maybe I'm. Maybe it's because maybe I shouldn't say the headline implied that. I'll say I inferred it from the headline. Okay, I'll put it on me. However, another point made in the article was that um, the advertising used by the providers. Mm-hmm. Uh, They've, they've caught on to the fact that, um, there is a wealth of diversity in the, in the customer base that they are reaching out to. And they are saying that, um, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you can use our services and it makes it more welcoming to people who may, uh, realize that, um, this may be the best way for them to get internet access. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but I still don't think that it, they are intentionally trying to drive a wedge between segments of the population in terms of internet access. No, they're trying to maximize profits, which, yes. you know, if, if maximizing profits meant bringing populations together, that's exactly what they would be doing. So again, it's that amoral approach. It's that it, you know, when they identify a pathway that's going to end up making them lots of money, that's the pathway they're going to take. Yeah. So, uh, but another point that was made, and I think it's a it's a legitimate one, is that there are certain tasks that you can do on the internet that are harder to do if you're doing it through a mobile device. Yes, I agree with that so, completely. So, for example, if you are job hunting and you want to fill out a job application online, it is much easier to do that on a computer than it is on a smartphone. And. As Ms. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, as King points out in the article, is uh, uh, many companies are requiring online access to fill out an application, um, and uh, you know, of course, in in some cases, um, I have seen terminals in stores used specifically for that purpose. So, if you want to work at a, a retail store, and some of the the, the companies mentioned in there are. Uh, retail institutions, you can walk into a location and actually fill out the online application online. Now, here again, if you don't have access to technology, you may be less familiar with the skills needed to fill out an application on the computer. Yeah. Um, that's another digital divide issue. Yes. Uh, if you don't know how to use a computer very well and you're asked, you know, they say, hey, yeah, sure, you can, you can fill out an application. Feel free. Walk over here and use the computer. I'll be over here. And you go, well, I don't want to look like uh, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm going to go you know, take a stab at this. Yeah. Um, you know, when you go in for a job interview or application, of course, uh, you know, I was always told during the application process, you want to uh, create a, a positive impression. So 
somebody might be who who is less familiar with computers might be reluctant to go, hey, you know what? I really don't know how to use a computer very well. I've only done it a handful of times. I'm not sure I know what I'm doing. Um, you know, you would I, I personally would be uh, concerned about that. Yeah. Um, you know, a little reticent to go, hey, you know, I don't I don't know what I'm doing and have and worry about the person who is helping me judging me. You know, right. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, that's a that's a serious issue. If you're trying to find work and the only way you can fill out an application is online, um, you might go to the library or it's it's really hard to do on a smartphone. Yeah. This so, is- you know, if that's the only way you have access where you can do that in the privacy where you feel like I'm going to need extra time to do this. Yeah. That's it's, a serious issue. It's reminding me a lot about the arguments I had about why I thought the iPad wouldn't take off, yeah. even though it did. And it's because it's the way I use the internet. That's why, that's probably why I had problems because I was coming from it from my own experience. Yeah. Uh, and the reason is, is that mobile devices are great at consuming content. Mm-hmm. They're, they're great for doing things like watching a video or listening to music. Uh, and, and then they're, they're great for communication. So mm-hmm. instant messages, emails, text messaging, that kind of stuff. Um, they're great for that. They're not so great for anything that's heavier than that. Anything where you're, you're filling out forms or you're, uh, uh, writing something longer than just a short email message. That's just not what they're for. And if you have a population that primarily accesses the internet through a device that is mainly used for consumption, there's no surprise that there's going to be a bigger gap here. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, and the, and the other part of this, Equation. The other thing that makes this so tricky is that every year that goes by, we are more and more dependent upon the upon technology in general and the internet in particular. Yes, it is playing a larger role in how we make all sorts of decisions based everything from career decisions, educational decisions, uh, just how we interact with our friends, how we get to the entertainment that we like. All of these things are playing larger roles within the internet, and so. As we d- depend on that more and more each year, it's going to become even more important that we have d- the right the right way is probably the wrong way of saying this the 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 most open and accessible way to get to that that uh, internet. Yeah. You know, if you're doing it through a, a mobile device, as great as that mobile device is, the the limitations of the mobile form factor may be enough to push you. Off to the side, mm-hmm. and so that could very well create another sort of weird class system where we've got the class of people who all had access to the internet um, in an unfettered way, and uh, who thus have an, an advantage over those who did not. It's not to say that the people who did not cannot you know, overcome that disadvantage. There are going to be plenty of stories about people who will overcome disadvantages and will be incredible success stories. But it's just not a level playing ground. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's not so much that you can't succeed if you uh, only consume the Internet through mobile devices. I don't mean to say that. I just mean to say you're not on the same – you're not starting from the same position as someone who has been accessing it through broadband. Yeah. Well – We've said it a, a, a few times on the podcast. You know, technology by itself um, isn't necessarily the answer. Yeah. Just just um, buying a whole bunch of computers and giving them to people that that alone will not solve this problem. 
um, you know, you, they have to be able to, the people who have the technology need to be able to, to use it to its fullest potential and they need to, they need to understand what they're doing. Um, if they don't have, uh, if, if they don't have access to the education needed to help them use the technology, um, then it's, it's going to be difficult for them to take advantage of. And, um, uh, that's why I think articles like King's are so useful because they help us identify um, these problems so that we can take a look at them and tackle them. I, I think there's probably, uh, I, I, I'm inclined to say there's probably always going to be a digital divide of some kind. Sure. Um, I, I think with some education on the part of, uh, of, uh, writers like King and, and many others, um, who can bring these, um, these issues to our attention. I actually, I found a, a lot, quite a lot on, uh, George Lucas's educational, Foundation, Edutopia. Hmm, um, there, yes, there are quite yes. a few articles about the digital divide on there. If you're interested in reading more about it, um, and, uh, and Pew Research Group actually has quite a bit on the, the digital divide. I, DD. I'm just going to call it <laughs> DD from now on. Um, yeah, but the the thing is that uh, having people like this bring these issues to our attention will help us learn what is necessary to overcome. Uh, the digital divide or the DD. Oh, or show off. <laughs> uh, My tongue's not stuck uh, in neutral today. I don't know what the deal is with me. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, this is, it's necessary to, to do this because, um, you're right, Jonathan. I mean, as much as, as important as, uh, this technology is to our, um, to our everyday lives at this point, um, we can't afford to be held back by part of the population not having access to the technology and not understanding how to use it. And uh, I think as as the world moves forward in uh, in technological terms, um, it is to everyone's advantage for us to overcome these issues. Yeah, and the way of of solving this problem is yet to be discovered, really, because there are so many different factors at play. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I want to make that clear is that we're not coming out and saying that, you know, regulation is the only answer. No. Um, there's, there's all these different factors. I mean, there are cultural factors here that it doesn't matter if you regulate an in- industry or not. The, the cultural factors are going to play a large role. So, sure. uh, yeah, I mean, it's not an easy problem to fix and there's no one solution to fix it. Uh, it's just, but being aware that there is an issue is at least a good first step. Mm-hmm. For a company that that only allows uh, online applications, understanding that there is a segment of the population that only uses uh, smartphones, or, or primarily, let's say that primarily yeah. uses smartphones to use the internet, they might say, okay, well, let's make our the website with our application on it more smartphone friendly. Um, let's help it detect what, what type of technology is able to, is accessing this form and make it and optimize it for that, um, for that format. So, so if you, you know, it says, okay, this person is using a smartphone, use the smartphone version of the application and it will become more simple for them to use and, and, and more understandable for the person using it. Right. While still being a valid, you know, a valid, uh, uh, job listing. Otherwise, you know, you've just kind of created another problem. But yeah. but that would that that's one way of overcoming it. Right. That, that someone else can take. Um, that requires absolutely no uh, legislation or regulation on the part of uh, a country's government. Yeah. Now that being said, if you feel 
you, the listener, feel that your particular government representatives aren't doing enough in one way or another, whether you feel that regulation is not the right answer and you want to make that clear, or that you think that regulation is something that's important and that you would like to see net neutrality rules applied across the mobile spectrum as it has been the broadband, mm-hmm. um, then definitely get active. You know, Write your representatives, write your whomever represents you in government. You should contact and let your thoughts be known and in a polite and, uh, and concise manner. And that that's that can go a very long way too. Mm-hmm. I mean, activism like on that level, it sounds like it's you know, like it sounds like well, what good is a, a letter going to do? But if representatives know that this is a, an actual issue with people and that they feel that this could become uh, a very important issue within a constituency, then they are they're prone to act on that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or else they get voted out. Right. So anyway, I think that wraps up this discussion. It was a good one. Uh, interesting and, and difficult topic, really. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions uh, for us to tackle, um, well, let Sminty know, and then they will tweet us. <laughs> and then we can... No, no, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is TechStuffHSW, and Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. To try Audible free today and get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash techstuff. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?